Hello, hello. Welcome to At Home with the Intuitive Cook, the podcast giving a voice to everyday home cooks like you and me. Join me around the kitchen table as we chat about finding cooking ease and inspiration beyond rules and recipes and the noise of celebrity chef culture. It's not rocket science, it's just dinner. Welcome, welcome. This is At Home with the Intuitive Cook. That's me, Katerina Pavlakis. And my guest at the kitchen table today is Andrea Horgan. Andrea is a textile print designer and a lover of color. She believes aesthetics are not an optional extra, and she's always thinking about her next meal. Our conversation is a sensory journey as we explore the power of color, the art of seasoning, and the stories that leave a mark on our taste buds. Let's dive in. Hello, Andrea. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Katarina. So, yeah, there are a few interesting things I want to explore with you because you are a lover of colors, as you say yourself. And you also say that you're always thinking about your next meal. I'm obsessed with food. I'm obsessed. I, I don't know why. I think it's probably from being a child because my mother worked. So she was never a stay-at-home mom. She always worked for my parents split when I was very young. I was three. So she's always had to earn money. So she's variously been at home and not at home. And I think there was a slight insecurity about, you know, when is mom coming back and going to make lunch? And so it was always like, you know, once, once I knew she had a plan for lunch, that was fine. But it was always like, oh, you know, so it was always about the next meal. And I do notice that, you know, I finish one meal and I'm thinking about the next one, even now, all these years later. Um, and that's not because there's any food insecurity or anything like that. There never was, but it was just like, I wanted to know, once I knew there was a plan, that was good. And so it's the same thing. Once I have a plan in my own head, while I'm planning for lunch, you know, whether I have to go to the supermarket or whatever, then it's fine, you know. And, but also if I'm depending on someone else, like if I'm waiting for someone else, to um, be free, have lunch. That always seems that it's okay to plan, but none of it's open ended. I need to know what time you're going to eat. <laughs> I just it's just one of these things. I don't know why. I think my brother is the same. It's just a, it's just a weird thing to hang over from being kids. Yeah, well, it's interesting how our childhood memories around food really, really leave their mark. Do you have a sort of like a a first, a really early memory of food or of cooking from your childhood? I remember I don't like eggs. I can eat eggs in things, but I don't know if oil, scramble, fried, no. And I remember my mother, I must have had a bad experience with an egg because I do remember my mother trying to coax me to eat a boiled egg. And no, no, she was trying to make it lovely. And, you know, my brother was scarfing his down and no. Couldn't. I, I don't. It's the, it's the smell and the texture I don't like. Now, I have graduated, you know, to eating an omelette, but it's got things in it, so it doesn't. That's okay because it's not eggy, and and I will eat quiche, but not. You know, I'm not wild about it. <laughs> it has to be full of flavour for me too. So I can't eat something that's just too eggy. So I think I must have had a bad experience with an egg, as I can't think for any other reason why I wouldn't. I can't remember exactly. But I do remember her trying to persuade me to eat one and my being very stubborn in my refusal. Well, when, when I was a kid, I only liked scrambled eggs with lots of cheese in it. Mm. So 
maybe similar. I also have a memory of my mom trying to persuade me to eat something. And that is actually have the image in front of me, me sitting at the kitchen table. I must have been maybe about three and she's trying to make me eat pureed spinach. And I would absolutely not have pureed spinach. I don't remember the next bit, but this is the story my mom tells me. She then found out that it was all about the texture Mm. because I wouldn't mind at all to eat, you know, cooked spinach leaves that I had to chew. It was the pureed uh, texture that I, I didn't like. And and actually, to this day, I don't really like pureed things. No, I'm with you with that. I'm really, I don't like, there are certain things that I really do not like the texture of. Anything soapy, uh, which I think like an avocado, for example, which I think is slightly slimy and soapy. Uh, okra, I'm trying with okra. I can eat a little bit of it, but I find it slightly overwhelming. And it is, it is purely a texture thing. I just don't like the mouthfeel. And particularly in desserts, it's really important that you have you know, something crunchy and something soft and something something light and something heavy. I think it's really important. Yeah, I think texture, and it's funny how it can have such a formative effect on you. You don't realize, you know, because I mean, all kids get mashed up stuff because they have no teeth. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Texture is makes a big part of the experience of a meal, whether it's, you know, a positive or a negative. So after all these dislikes we talked about so what are your favorites what are the things the foods or the textures that you absolutely love i don't have a particular favorite uh, i like my food to be comfortable i really i don't like eating i get very upset if we end up having a beige meal because it's never my intention it's usually because i've forgotten something and i will just look at something saying oh it needs green in it or oh it needs red in it a bit like the way i'm looking at a, when i'm designing a textile or something oh it needs this in it and for me, aesthetics are really important. So how a meal looks is a big part of my enjoyment of it. So I tend to like colorful things. I tend to like lots of reds and greens and yellows and purples and any other color that I can think of that I will try and include you know, in each meal. That happens really as sort of a way of my enjoyment of color, I think, helps me eat a more balanced diet because I don't want all the beige stuff. I like the colorful stuff and then amazing salad with friends yesterday we had fujis in it and uh, peppers and um, lettuce and tomatoes all different tomatoes with a lovely pesto dressing and then we had like, a coleslaw and stuff and it was just delicious and the colorfulness was just fantastic it's beautiful and you just want to eat the whole thing it's just so inviting so i think it's i think i like things that are colorful and that's why i like i like a lot of asian Food, you know, Indian food, um, Japanese food, Thai food, Vietnamese food, Indonesian food, and a lot of food from the Mediterranean, Italian, Spanish, because it's so colourful. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of red in it, and I really, I really like that. It's, it just appeals. Do you somehow associate colours with flavours, or is it purely a sort of a visual thing for you as a as a designer? It's um, some of it. I think more colourful things are the more flavor they will have. So beige things I tend to find a bit bland and it's just got not enough contrast either because for me, my partner, he said, oh, food is food. And I said, no, it's food, it is not food. For the consumer, food starts when you put the plate down in front of the person. And if they don't look at that and go, oh, that looks good. And they might, the reason that people think it looks good is because they're looking at it with their eyes and they're seeing something on the plate that is attractive to them. And then you get the smell 
because you see, oh, that looks good. I think, first of all, you eat with your eyes and then you eat with your other senses. Then you eat with your nose next. And then lastly, you eat with your mouth. And I think, so it's really important, you know, even just the basic thing of the plate that you put the food on, you know, the glass that you drink out of, the, the cutlery that you hold in your hand, is the waiting nice? Is it nice when you cut your food? Is that a nice experience or a frustrating experience? So for me, it's not just, it's not just the color of the food, it's the whole experience, I think. And I think that people, people miss out on that because it really does enhance. It's, it really does enhance your whole experience. And the other thing I find is really important is sitting down at the table and making time, not eating it while you're fiddling your phone or watching TV or, you know, scarfing your sandwich in front of your computer. It's just not, I mean, it's fine because we have to do that sometimes, but it's, you're missing out, I think, on one of life's great pleasures. And it's such a shame that people don't realize what they're missing out of when they don't sit down at a table. You, you sit down and you eat it. And it's even better if you've made it. Then you taste it yourself and go, oh, that was rather good. I'm really pleased with myself. <laughs> and then um, and then you eat it and you get this tremendous, tremendous joy, basically, for an everyday thing. And I think that we've missed out on that. Because one thing I remember very much, my we had lodgers because, again, we were short of money. So, um, and they were paying for a meal in the evening. They were mainly university students. It was just mostly first years. So their first time away from home. So my mother's house was home for home for them. And uh, we always had a, a, a sit down meal every evening. We sat down at the table. My mother made a you know, main course and a dessert. And uh, we sat and we talked and we ate. So for me, sitting down and having social meal and talking is a huge part of my growing up something that when i was single living on own, i really missed i missed that and i tend not to cook so well for myself when i'm on my own i tend to be much more interested in cooking when i have someone to share it with i can only agree with that that's the same with me i find it really difficult to just go to for to cook something proper for myself it's so much more enjoyable when you do have someone to to share the meal with and then the everyday meal somehow in our house is the highlight of our day and when i was a child it was quite similar although you know during the week the the meals were very simple because my parents were also working at the weekend we kind of had this whole thing of you know family cooking and family eating of meals which you know, I remember that that these are my favorite memories, really, of this kind of imagining flavors and drooling over spices and, and, and just, oh, I wonder how it will taste if we add a bit of this. And and to be very, yeah, we were doing that all together. So, yeah, so you grew up with that, too. Mm. So, so do you remember ever learning to cook or did this just, did you just breathe it in with, with the air around you? Uh, a bit of both, a bit of both. My grandmother was a very good cook, uh, but she cooked by traditional food, Irish food, which were boils a lot. <laughs> but she made the most amazing brown brown bread, France Irish soda bread. And my biggest memory of my grandmother is the smell because she always made bread before we came to visit. So the biggest memory was was coming into her her cottage and the smell of just baked bread. And basically, you know, it was not long after the oven, she would cut it and basically we just inhale the whole loaf. 
and you didn't need anything else on us, just butter. Had to be Kerrygold, but, uh, you know, you just, the whole thing. And that was such a powerful memory for me. Oh, and the fact that she tried to make my ex-husband eat cabbage. He does not, not much not a cabbage person. So that was, he tried to lose the cabbage. He, she left the room and he threw the cabbage in the bin and she goes, oh, you're finished already. And promptly put a huge big spoon on his plate. <laughs> that was, so it serves you right. <laughs> so my mother came from a small country town and then she moved to Dublin. Um, she met my dad and they went hitchhiking around France and that blew my mother's mind. She went from Ireland in the 1960s to Paris. And oh my God, the difference. I mean, the, I mean she lost her mind when she, when she had a croissant. She never experienced anything like that before. And just the way they did things, the way they cooked. And she fell in love with France, with everything about France, about the wine, you know, the food culture, everything. And so when she came back to Ireland, at the time they were selling this um, magazine, it was at Cordon Bleu, and you could buy it. I think weekly, and you put it in a folder. And I remember her having these, Cordon Bleu. I mean, this is before, you know, we didn't have television, so there were no cooking programs or anything like that. So you couldn't learn anything except out of magazines or books. She didn't have cookbooks. There were never any cookbooks in the house. But we did have, she did have these magazines, and she had a most amazing palette. So she was very good at identifying taste. But a lot of things she never knew because she'd never experienced it. So, and in Ireland at the time, there wasn't a huge range of spices. You know, there wasn't a huge range of anything. So my mother just made things up. So that's what I saw. I remember her. She had, she used to put sherry. I think somebody gave her a bottle of sherry and she doesn't drink sherry. So she used it. She would braise a pork steak, you know, and she'd deglaze the pan in sherry. And that would be the basis of the sauce. Yeah. So I learned, I learned a lot of things just from watching what she did. And then I actually, we did some cooking classes in school. I remember learning how to make uh, carrot soup and I brought it home. And I think my mother, light bulb switched on my mother said, oh, somebody else can cook except me other than me. So that's when it was really, I'll show you how to make a curry. And she learned how to make curry from uh, an Indian doctor who was living in the flat below her. This is again in the 1960s before I was born. So she had this very basic curry and just using you know, a very basic curry mix that you could buy in shop. And... Uh, yeah, it was a base, but it was a tomato and onion base. And my mother used pork in it because that was the cheapest meat um, that you could get. And uh, yeah, so she taught me how to make that. And I still make it all these years later. It's modified slightly, obviously, because you can get different spices and things now. But the base is the same. I taught it to my ex-husband. He loved it. He makes it. I taught it to my current partner. He loves it. He makes it. And it's just, I think it's a really nice memory that my mother, you know, from her downstairs neighbor, poor man was trying to have something from home <laughs> in Ireland. And he shared it with her and she was interested that she wanted to learn how to make it. Uh, so growing up, I had food that was very different from my school friends. I had quite traditional Irish food. My mother was busy trying to create a French kitchen <laughs> in her house with the limitations that we had. And she didn't have m much knowledge about skills skills about you know the basic skills about in fresh cooking the techniques and that but she just she just did what she did and it was always always tasted good but she was also interested in actually making things simple because she worked so much so everything was if it was a one pattern that was even better you know she could fire something in and, and but even better if, you, if it just cooked itself on a low heat she was quite happy you know she could come in and stir it every now and again so there was nothing fancy 
Yeah, but it was flavorful, so it switched you on to flavor. Yeah, yeah, and it was more, um, and all was colorful. She always had colorful things in it. Our food was never okay. Um, she loved tomatoes, peppers, um, and anything else that you could get into it. And funny, for a person who was actually very good with food, she wasn't the most adventurous. She announced quite categorically that she did not like garlic. She never cooked with garlic, interestingly. I never told her I put garlic in everything, practically. I never told her because she wouldn't eat it. And, you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize that cooked garlic is a completely different thing than raw garlic and that kind of garlicky taste we think and sometimes think it's too strong is actually the raw garlic. So when I use raw garlic, I'm very careful. And when I'm cooking it, I'm just throwing it in kind of by the handful. Hmm. I mean, interesting that you say how, you know, traveling through France, blew your mum's mind and and now you are living in France you you moved quite recently haven't you yes I've been here for eight months now and yeah I think it's interesting it's very interesting because I live in rural France the biggest uh the biggest thing that I've noticed here is that the seasonality of the, the vegetables in the in the supermarket and it's mainly driven actually by economics the imported food and imported vegetables are so much more expensive that people tend not to buy them they tend to buy the stuff that's in season because it's less expensive and they will wait they will wait for the, the local produce to come into season and when it does you know there's a surplus in the supermarket and basically you can't do anything for falling over courgettes at the moment because it's courgette season they are absolutely everywhere yeah that's interesting and the other thing is that it's interesting to note how food culture in the UK and Ireland has come so far, you know, over the last 40, 50 years, you know, and how in Ireland in particular, because we've had a big change with Celtic Tiger, a lot of other cultures coming into the country. So there's a huge explosion in, in types and variety of food that you can get now in Ireland and in the supermarket, which is kind of catching up with the UK, which always had a much more diverse population than we had. But also it's interesting. We often think of that the whole of France has got an amazing culinary tradition and a lot of it does, but a lot of it is, you know, the countryside and people just have their basic stuff that they've been making for years. And I think the thing that blew my mother's mind was, was the difference. Because in Ireland at the time, you know, she was growing up, everything here was boiled or occasionally you might have a roast on, on a Sunday. But the variety of techniques that they used in France at the time was just so much greater than my mother had ever experienced. So the flavour that people were able to get out of similar ingredients was mind-blowing to her. But also the range of just things that were grown because the climate was better. You know, and there just wasn't just wasn't she just wasn't exposed to it growing. And I think I grew up at the stage where at the early part of my life it was quite limited and then it exploded, you know, in the later part of my life. So uh, so I think I've probably experienced a little bit of what my mother experienced you know, in terms of things like Asian food, not from Europe, from other parts of the world, that weren't naturally finding their way into Ireland at that time, because they were a long way from anywhere. <laughs> and also, I think people wouldn't have been interested. That's too exotic. We wouldn't eat that. Yeah, exactly. Food has so much to do with the habit as well. And if it's too exotic, it might feel... Well, out of our comfort zone, you know, comfort food, that term of comfort food is there for a reason because we do associate comfort with food, but obviously also excitement. And this is where 
exploration comes in and the, the joy of trying something new. But a lot of people don't like trying new things. They prefer to stay in the safe comfort zone, which is understandable as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So what are you cooking today? Well, I'm on my own at the moment, so it's not very exciting. I just have, well, I made it yesterday. So I opened the fridge and uh, as I just came back, I was visiting Dublin and so I uh, haven't had a chance to do anything and um, go to the supermarket. And so just basically what was ever in the, in the fridge. So there was there just some um, laurelons that I had left over, had a couple of uh, shallots and a red onion. Always have peas in the freezer because they're handy. And so I just made a made a very basic pasta sauce. I had I always had a um, bottle of passata in the house. So and my partner Yune had made made an amazing rub for um, some pulled pork, a lot of paprika and spices in it. It's a secret. I'm not sure he won't tell me exactly what's in it. And so that was there was sitting on the counter. I thought, oh, let's stick that in. So basically, just fried up onions and no garlic. And so I looked up, I looked in the pot, my garlic pot, and there's no garlic. <gasps> okay, well, let's have to do without that. But the other reason that the rub was good is that it does have garlic in it. So we basically just fried, just uh, sliced up the onions, softened them down, threw in the spice rub, let that cook in a bit, threw in the tomatoes, and then uh, let that cook for about half an hour or so. A couple of bay leaves in there as well, and then threw in the, the peas at the last minute and then cooked some pasta and that was good. And a bit of extra smoked paprika because I do like that. The flavour from the lard on with a bit of fat in there. And yeah, it's very good and nice and red. The only thing I always find kind of upsetting is that the, the peas, because I'm eating it again today, but peas won't be that nice vibrant green because I've been sitting in tomato sauce overnight. <laughs> yeah. But he's back at the weekend, so I'll be making something. I don't know what yet. When he comes back, we've had something lovely. I always like to, I'm really, I don't know why I do this to myself, but you know, when, whenever I have friends over, it's my perfect time to try something new, even though everybody says you should never try anything new when you're having friends over, but I always try everything new. I'm not content with trying, you know, one new thing. I have to do the whole new menu. It has to be something that I've never had before. So I will get out in my books and I'll be looking and trying something, something new. So just to add to the stress, having friends over it's mad i don't know why you do so yeah so you know he's coming back so i'll have to get out the books try something new so that he's got something interesting to have so as someone who who does have this sort of intuitive way of cooking how how do you use your cookbooks then i use them for ideas i just have i, I love books i love books i haven't learned to pick up books and just smell the spine it's the glue i know I love the way I love I love food photography. I find it very inspiring, and just the way the colours are, are used. Uh, so I just love cookbooks for the fact that they look beautiful, the fact that they have useful information in them as a bonus. And then I will always do a recipe first, the way that the person has designed the recipe, so I can understand how they intended the recipe to work. And my most frustrating times actually are trying to follow recipes, particularly with cakes and stuff. My uh, my oven, obviously, thermostat is not quite right. The oven is ancient. It's a great oven, but it's ancient. So that's that's a bit of a frustration. Uh, but I always try it first to see how it works and for ideas and combinations. And then once I've tried a few things, you get the idea of what works and also what techniques you can use. Because I've never I've never had any formal training. I mean, I did cookery lessons at school, and most of my stuff comes, I think, from watching shows on television. I love cooking shows. 
and also um, just reading the books and looking at techniques that they use. And then I will fiddle about. I do like to fiddle about with people's recipes. And I never remember what fiddling I've done, so it's different every time. Sometimes I remember and actually write a note. That doesn't usually happen. Will you write a note in the book or do you have a special recipe notebook? No, I write, I write, I'm useless. I write notes on scraps of paper and I stick, I put the scraps of paper in the book. So then when I pick up the book, the scraps all fall out. So I am totally unorganized. I collect um, recipes out of magazines or anything else and I put them in plastic because I'm messy and I wear an apron. My mother abhorred aprons. She didn't like aprons or mops because that was, you know, female servitude in her mind. But um, I like an apron and a mop because they're handy. And I always wear my old clothes when I'm doing anything with chocolate because I end up with chocolate everywhere. Yeah, so apron, apron on, boot book out. I have discovered a lot of mistakes actually in recipes. No, that definitely wasn't sound right. So I'll, I'll mix and match things as well. I think it's just experience really. The longer you do it, the easier it is to understand what works together and what doesn't. So, but yeah, I should really be more disciplined about my note writing because when I work, it's when it really works out, oh, this is really good. Because I recently made something. I can't remember what it was. And I remember having a discussion with Renee afterwards. Oh, I think next time I make this, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And you say, yeah, and then we should do that. And you say, yeah, that's going to be great. That's really going to really work. And for the life of me, I can't remember what recipe that was and what it was we were going to do. And now, my kitchen friends, it's time for a quick break to see what I've been cooking up for you. If you ever feel trapped by recipes or wish you could get more creative in your kitchen, I made a free mini course. It's called Ditch the Recipes and it's a short series of five emails that will help you get started on your intuitive cooking journey. Sign up on the website at theintuitivecook.co.uk slash free or find the link in the show notes. And now let's get back to our conversation. Let's go back to, you, you said that how you really like the images in the cookbooks and how you find them inspiring. But a lot of people find them intimidating because, I mean, it's a matter of fact that these photos, you know, have been staged and accessorized and, you know, their style, there is such a thing as a food stylist after all. And, you know, I know that people who work in that, you know, line of work, chefs, you know, they tell me it might take a whole day to, you know, shoot some food photos. So I find that the photos look very appetizing, but they never match the result because, you know, real food doesn't look so styled. I find them appetizing. I I don't necessarily try to recreate that. I just, you know, take that as a cue and then, and yeah, what do you have to say to those people who find them intimidating because it just never turns out like in the photo? Well, just as you said, it's it's a cue. I think for me, the picture will often make me interested about making the thing. It doesn't matter to me that it because I know I'm not I I've no pretensions to being a chef. I love food and I love to cook, and that's a pleasure for me. So I do it because I love it, not because I'm trying to be a professional, or at least I'm trying to show off to anybody. It, it's all about my own selfish pleasure. Even the sharing of it is a selfish pleasure because I really get pleasure out of other people enjoying my food. Um, so I think that it's, for me, I look at a picture and go, oh, that looks lovely. And I don't, it doesn't really bother me that it doesn't, because I know it's not going to. 
I mean, I know. I mean, if you see any rhubarb in a cake that looks pink, you know it's a lie because rhubarb doesn't it come brown. And you know, you know. So it's it doesn't bother me that it's only there for the pretty picture. But yeah, it's a bit like fashion, you know. You know, you look at all you go and you look at all these fashion magazines, and you know that you're never going to look like the models in the dress. But you know, there's a passing chance that you're actually going to look pretty good, and that's good enough. And I think that's the thing. But it's you know, you're not creating food. To take a photo, well, you see, that's the trouble, you see. I have a real problem with this whole idea of photographing your whole life and that you don't feel that you're, you're living unless you've actually immortalized it in a photograph and then shared it because obviously just immortalizing it in a photograph is not enough. I think it's, and of course, it's not going to look like, it's never going to look like that, but it, it's enough that it's, um, I think just take it as, you know, you would look as, as a, a painting. You look at a painting and you think, well, I'm not going to be able to paint that, but I enjoy the process of painting. Or, you know, I'm looking at a photograph of a beautiful woman in a gorgeous dress, and I know I'm not going to look like her, but, you know, it can inspire me that maybe I will try and wear something that's pink, for example. Or, you know, things like that. You just just take it as a, a beautiful thing in and of itself, and as a cue to maybe try something in your own life that's a bit different. Anybody who is inspired to try something new in cooking, and particularly maybe trying to make their cooking more colourful, which I think is an easy way to get into trying something different. It's just, you know, and then you don't have to worry about too much about balance and all that kind of thing. If you use a range of colours, I think you will naturally begin to find your way towards balance. And it's like if you start to introduce colour in any part of your life, the more you do it, the more you start to see it and the more you start to understand how they work together and the easier it becomes. And then you stop thinking about it and just do it. I really like that approach. And, and what also strikes me how, you know, you are the visual type. You are looking at the colors and the photos. And for me, like when I'm thinking, oh, gosh, this, this sounds amazing. I want to make that. It's usually the description of the ingredients and I'm thinking of, of flavors and I, you know, I find it always interesting when, when one flicks through a recipe book and some recipe will make you stop in your trucks and you think, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. You know, for you, it might be the picture. For me, it's usually some combination of ingredients that I'm thinking, oh gosh, that sounds delicious. And that Nadia Hussein recipe, it was really a recipe about salmon with a sort of a salsa verde mm. sauce. But there was a side of onions, caramelized onions cooked in ghee and miso. And, and somehow the combination of these ingredients, you know, the buttery onions and the sweetness of the onions with the saltiness of the miso mm -hmm. just got my brain so excited. I was talking about it all day. But of course, you know, as it turned out, the photo, the onions were, you know, holding their shape. And when I first tried to make it, I thought, oh, it must be done. You know, they look a bit brown, but they're still holding the shape. And of course, while the onion's holding their shape, it's not caramelized. So it didn't have that sweetness I was imagining at all because they were just not done enough. Oh. So then I did it again and I just cooked it until the onions fell apart. So it didn't look like anything like the photo, but it did taste like I imagined it would taste when I read about the caramelized onions with the miso. Yeah, I think, yeah, for me, the first thing that will stop me is the picture. And then I will read the description. Because as soon as I see the picture, oh, and then I read the thing and I go, oh, 
but then if the the picture might look amazing, but then if the recipe doesn't make me start to salivate when I'm thinking about making it and then eating it, then I look at the picture and it's a pretty picture, but I'm not going to make it. So it it's a combination of the two things, and I think that's I think that's the point I was trying to make at the beginning is that you don't just eat with one sense; you eat with all your senses. You know. You you cook with all your senses, so you're looking, you're looking. You 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 looked at the picture and you just said, "Oh, they were holding their shape." So you were looking at the aesthetic of the onion, and then you're thinking, you know, about you'd be listening to how the onion is cooking in in the pan, and then you'll be smelling to see, and then you'll be tasting because that's one thing that I don't think people do enough. Is I don't think when they're cooking they don't taste enough, and that's the key. That's the key thing is tasting. The longer you've been cooking. The better you get at judging for yourself how you like things seasoned, but when you're learning, you have to taste, 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 taste. You have to because you don't know you don't know how much sugar is in that particular nectarine on this particular day. Um, so you have to taste, taste, taste. And I think people don't people don't do that even with the recipes. You know, they will follow a recipe and go, "Oh, that's not quite right." I don't, well, did you taste it? Did you adjust the seasoning? Did you? Did you reduce the amount of sugar? Because maybe you don't like it as sweet. Uh, so you have to, you have to taste, taste, taste as you go along. And I have found that the longer I've been cooking, the less adjustment I need to do. Because, uh, you know, people say, uh, people ask me, Andrew, how do you know how much to put in? I look at it and I go, okay, stir it. And it's usually fine. And I'm always amazed myself. I just think, how did I do that? But it's just because I've been doing it a long time, you know, and I'm picking up cues that I don't realize I'm picking up. The smell of it, um, you know, the sound, you know, and probably when the feeling of produce, you know, as you're chopping it or taking a stone out of the fridge, you, you begin to understand what the qualities are of the thing that you're dealing with just by all of your senses. So I think people focus probably too much on taste as such, even though, I mean, I've just emphasized how important tasting is, but all those other senses will feed in and tell you what's happening in your pot uh, or even before your stuff gets in your pot and also they will help you enjoy your meal even more once you get it on the plate if you actually stop and look at it not take a photograph you have to actually experience it yourself not by a phone you put a you put a screen or a machine in front of you you are separating yourself from the experience and however beautiful it looks as a picture you will not be the same I'm very anti. There are no phones allowed at our table. My partner sometimes he brings it. I say, if it's a life and death situation, you can have the phone at the table. Is it really in this? No. <laughs> okay, no phones. No phones. No. I like that. I think I want to introduce that rule. We, we have a rule there is no phones in the bedroom, but, and we don't usually use our phones at the table, but sometimes it's handy because it's like we're having a conversation and it's like, Oh, let me Google that bit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I, I like that idea of no phones at the table. And, you know, what you're saying about tasting and adjusting and it's your opportunity to make, to make it your own, the tasting and adjusting and using all your senses, including the color, you know, as something cooks, the color changes not just a shade or two, but it completely kind of keeps changing, like, you know, the raw broccoli. And then when you put it in the 
pan at first it gets brighter green and then it starts getting you know darker and then it gets grayer and it's like a whole process that if you watch it it tells you a lot about where you are in the cooking process and the sound as you said and the smelling and all these things yeah this is so important yeah i think people forget that cooking is a whole body experience it's that whole it's that whole thing and i and i think that's what makes it so essentially human and i think that's what makes it so so sad that a lot of people are growing up missing out on those really important experiences sensual experiences of uh, making a meal and then eating it and i think i think you just you nourish your body and you nourish your soul i think you do the two things at some time when you're cooking you know and uh, I mean, a lot of people use cooking as a as a way of showing their love for their family uh, you know it's not a chore for them it's it's, a, it's an expression of their affection for their family i think it's a real shame the way that cooking is you know through through the millennia it's become divided you've got you've got the elite cooking which tends to be chefs male dominated you've got the everyday cooking which tends to mainly fall to women but i think you know that that in a way the hardest part of cooking actually is thinking about what to cook you know actually everyday meal planning that's exhausting but the actual physical cooking is not a chore at all for me anyway i find it i find it actually because once you've got a sharp knife in your hand you really have to focus on what you're doing you can't really have your mind wandering off somewhere else so it's quite a mindful thing and so it's a good way to decompress after a day because you can't think about anything else you really just have to think about the knife and the onion and the thing in front of you and things like that so from that way to me it's not a chore it's the meal planning that's more a chore but i think it's a real shame in you know that a large swathe of humanity particularly men and lose out on that huge that huge experience of what it is to be human to create something to nourish you and to nourish the people that you are and that it shouldn't just be an elite occupation you know everybody should learn how to cook there are some very basic things i think everybody should learn everybody should learn how to drive everybody should learn how to cook and everybody should learn how to change clothes very basic <laughs> basics yeah and i think a really beautiful thought to finish the conversation well thank you Catherine. this has been fun thank you well that was wonderful you know i didn't i didn't even have to ask any questions because it just all all came forth on its own so thank you that was a really beautiful conversation i uh, well i love i love talking about food i could talk for another hour if you really want me to <laughs> yeah it was almost like when i said let's Let's finish here. I kind of could almost see like, oh, you were disappointed. That's okay. Thank you, Andrea. Amazing. Thanks for joining us for this episode of At Home with the Intuitive Cook. Check out the show notes for links and tasty morsels. And remember, fresh episodes are served up every other Friday. Subscribe to stay tuned and keep exploring the joys of everyday cooking. Until next time. Stay curious, trust your taste, and don't forget, it's not rocket science, it's just dinner.